In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, today, we, last week we, we covered First John chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. So we're just going to read starting at the beginning of chapter 2 and then continue, um, continue from where we left off. Um, so in, in chapter 2, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself uh, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And I think this is as far as we got uh, last time. So we'll continue. It says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. So the question is, what is this commandment? When he says, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment. What is this commandment? And how is it, you know, how is it, is it new or is it old? Because at the beginning he says, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment. Okay. But then he says, again, a new commandment I write to you. So is it a new commandment or is it an old commandment? And what is the commandment? It's old. So who says it's o it's what? You said old or it's all? It's old. So out of all the people here, who says old? <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, that's the, the commandment is to love. Okay, so is that an old commandment or a new commandment? So the commandment to love is old because actually God is love. But what what was the understanding of the commandment, right? In the in the Old Testament, the Old Testament it was eye for an eye, whereas in the New Testament Christ says, "I I no longer say to you eye for an eye," right? So the understanding of the commandment of love has changed, and the capability of the believer to love has changed. In the Old Testament, like the best that someone could hope to achieve would be eye for an eye, but in the New Testament says if someone compels you to walk with you one mile go two miles it's a different type of love okay so it's not that the commandment has changed but the expectation and the ability of us to fulfill the commandment is what's changed our understanding of it has changed that that the idea of taking revenge for instance is something that is unchristian right that's not that's not considered something that that we should do right whereas in the old testament that was the understanding Right. That was saying the understanding was that that was OK. Um, so so then he goes on to say he who says he is on the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. So, again, there's a lot of people that will say that they love their they love God. Right. People will say they love God. And a lot of times when we say we love God, we're focusing on like the things that we like about what God has done for us. And we feel close to him and so on. But then when it comes to other people, we're like, no, I don't like other people. Like there's a, a lot of people in my life that I don't like um, and I don't want to have anything to do with them and I don't enjoy being with them and I don't want to serve them and they stress me out and all this stuff. So the question is, is how is it that we can love God but hate our brother, right? And he's saying such a person who says that he loves God but hates his brother is in darkness, right? Because if you see what how God loves, the way that God is loving, God loves us who are undeserving of love. It is not that God loves us because we deserve it or because we've done good to him, and then that's why he loves us. So God wants us, the, the commandment to love is to love as God loves, right? To love as God loves. So if he loves us this way um, that we don't deserve, he's also asking us to love one another as we don't deserve. We receive love from God, right? And he wants us also to share that love with other people. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
Okay, so the person who hates is someone who, uh, like the hatred is a sign of separation, separation from God. Because if God is love and we are united to God, then hatred is impossible. It's impossible for us to hate. But our hearts would be filled with love for people. So when we see someone who is truly hateful, right, then this is a sign of like a spiritual separation from God, something that needs to be corrected um, in that person. And in the last chapter, we spoke about how he was telling the people that he wants them to have fellowship with both the church and God. It's, it's, it's both. Not just God alone, but God and the church. So again, some people who say, like, I have a relationship with God outside of the church, separate from the church. Um, I, li I like God, but I don't like to go to church because the people there, I can't stand them and whatnot. Again, this is contrary to what St. John is saying. Saying you can't have a relationship with God outside the church, and you can't say that I love God unless you also you love people. Now, loving people doesn't mean that you like everything that the people do, right? Like, loving people isn't about saying that everyone is saintly and good and, and angelic and no a lot of times people do bad things and and i myself right each one of us ourselves who maybe judge the actions of other people and that cause us to maybe not want to come and to be in fellowship with them we ourselves do many of the same things that those people do whether we realize it or not and so like to have fellowship with god we have to have fellowship with the church. We have to love one another. And we have to seek not only our own forgiveness from God, but to forgive those who trespass against us as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Okay? I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who was from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So he's, he's addressing here three different groups. Okay, He's addressing the young children. He's addressing uh, like youth, like adolescents. And he's addressing the fathers, like the older ones. Okay, And so the children, okay, in baptism they become the children of God and their sins are forgiven. So this is why he says, um, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So those people who are still very young in age, right, the message that they receive is, in baptism I have been forgiven my sins and I'm called to live a life with God, okay, for the young children. For the youth, right, the youth are the ones who maybe tend to experience some of the harshest temptations, like the temptations of the flesh. Okay, and so to the youth, what does he say? He says, uh, uh, I write to young one because you have overcome the wicked one, right? So it's like the spiritual warfare, the, the, the battle of between the spirit and the flesh for like the, the youth is very, very strong uh, and they are, they are attacked. So he is, uh, he is encouraging them and he's saying you have overcome the wicked one. You have overcome the temptations uh, that are coming against you. And then for the fathers, he says what? I have written to you fathers because you have known him who was from the beginning. So the fathers, they have experience, right, with God. And they have known God who was from the beginning who is eternal. So he's addressing all these three different groups um, in their own way. Okay, St. Cyril of Alexandria, he says, The young men are models of courage. The elders are models of understanding. And the sons and daughters are models of what it means to be children in Christ. So he's like addressing everybody according to their stature of where they are um, in their life. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. We, we read this, or a paraphrase of this, um, every time at the end of reading the Catholic epistle in the liturgy. Um, do not love the world or the things in the world. Um, so through baptism, we are receiving a new birth by which we should love God and not the world. So he's saying, love God and not the world. Like the love of God and the love of the world are like mutually exclusive. To, to s when we're speaking about the love of the world, <coughs> it doesn't mean that we're supposed to hate everything in the world. Right, because obviously God created good things, and even God, when He created everything, He said that it was good. So, so He's not asking us to hate 
the, the people in the world. He's not asking us to hate every blessing that God gives us in the world. But when he says, do not love the world, he's talking about the system of the world, like the philosophy of the world, the, the world's way of, of, of do, doing things and the attitude that the world has contrary to God. And if anyone loves that system, right, if anyone loves that worldly philosophy, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay, because that worldly philosophy will cause us to, to go away from God, to stray away from Him. Okay, so why would we um, allow our hearts to be attached to the thing that is uh, is 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 wearing away, right? That is that is passing away, and because that's what He's saying: for all that is in the world, right, um, is passing away. Everything is passing away. So the, the, no matter how good it might be. The fact that it is temporary means that it has diminishing value, right? And 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 maybe the older we get, the the, the shorter our life remaining life is, the the less and less value is anything in the world because no matter what it is that we attain, we we have it for such a uh, such a brief time, right? So he's saying, what is more important to you, the the lust, the pride, the the all these things that are in the world? which are temporary and passing away, or the eternal life that God is granting us. And so there's three reasons here, specifically, that he's speaking about that we love the world. The first, he said, is the lust of the, of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So the lust of the flesh is like the desire for pleasure, the things that the, my flesh wants, the things that my flesh desires. This is one of the loves of the world that we have and that would lead us away from God. The lust of the eyes is the desire to obtain, right? Like my eye sees and I seek to obtain that which I seek, right? This is the, the next kind of second thing that maybe would make us to go astray. The third, the pride of life, is like a refusal to submit to God. Like we choose to live our life on our own terms, refusing to submit to God, refusing to obey his commandments. Um, and so we, we live our life kind of obstinate, as obstinate children who are rebellious against our Father. And these three things that he's mentioning are the things that can lead us away from God. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Okay, so what do you think when he says the Antichrist, and he says the Antichrist with a capital A, but then he also says there are many antichrists with lowercase a. What is the difference between these two? Well, the antichrist is not is different than Satan, right? The antichrist is a is a person who is going to come on the earth. Hmm? Okay, so what's the difference between that and the antichrists? Yeah, so going back to the idea of the philosophy of the world, right? So antichrists are those who like are are like influence the people to follow the philosophy of the world in a way that draws them away from God. So they are following in the spirit of the antichrist. The antichrist himself is going to be a specific man, right? Who 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 is in the world. But he hasn't come yet. Uh, at least not that we know. Um but the antichrists Right? He even says about them, even now many antichrists have come. So even at that time, there were those who were antichrists. Okay? Then he goes on to say, um, they went out from us, but were not of us. What does that imply? They went out from us. They were once believers, like because they were of us, right? They were they were they were from us, but they were not of us. Like they 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 were among the group, right, uh, of the believers in the church, but they did not have the right heart, and they left, 
right, for various reasons. Like Judas, for example, right, he was of, or he was from, the, the 12 disciples. But he was not of the 12 disciples in the sense that his heart was not in his service, in his ministry. He had a different love, and he sought at that love, and in the end, he went out and he betrayed, right, um, what he stood for from the beginning. So in that sense, he was an antichrist, okay? Um, so they went out from us, but were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, meaning like if they had the right heart, they would have continued because the person who has the right heart and understanding of the truth and what is good, they would not leave what is good in order to go into like the darkness of the world and everything that is in it, okay? So those were at one time in the church, but left and they preached against it, okay? Um, this could even also apply to the, to the angels, right? Because those angels that became demons, right? Those angels that became demons, they were once servants of God, but later they turned to God and worked against him. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things, okay? So this anointing, right? When we speak about like we are anointed, with the seal of the Holy Spirit and the chrismation, okay? This seal is like um, like something that like guards our salvation. Like it, it's a testament to our salvation, to the baptism and to the salvation received in baptism. St. Severus of Antioch, he says, all have been anointed, not only the prophets and holy men who lived in their days, but also and especially all those who later believed in the great and only true anointed one, Christ, our God and Savior, along with those who continue to believe in him. For in the divine washing of regeneration and baptism, when we are symbolically anointed with myrrh, we receive his inheritance by the Holy Spirit and his rich gifts, by which we know that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So in this baptism and confirmation, we are anointed, okay? And, and, and we receive this same anointing from Christ, who is the anointed. That's what Messiah means. Messiah means the anointed. Christ has the same word as chrism, right? The anointed one. He is the one that we follow, we believe in, and we are anointed, we are his children, we are his followers. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Okay, so the liar he's speaking about is the one who rejects the truth, right? And the one who rejects the truth denies that Jesus is the Christ, denies that Jesus is the Son of God. But those who confess that they know God, right, have to do the works of God. Because if they don't do the works of God, they are rejecting him. In Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So you can't say that you know God, but your actions are an abomination to God. They are disobedient to God. So whoever rejects Christ is the one who, re who, who, who is rejecting him by his works. He can say that he believes, but if, he is, if his actions are against him, then he is rejecting him. Um, also, whoever rejects Christ also is rejecting the Father and the Son. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, it says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So it is through the Son that we have access to both the Father and the Holy Spirit. Right? So, so if we deny the Son, then we are denying the whole Trinity, um, not the Son alone. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Okay, so, so let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. So he's emphasizing the idea that the message that he is preaching now is the same message. He is reiterating the same thing that they heard from the beginning, right? And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and the Father and the Trinity. Okay? And, and the, what is the promise that we receive? What is it that you have received from the beginning? It is the promise of eternal life. Right? So don't accept any new false doctrine. We are constantly bombarded by new doctrines, by false ideologies, and, and, and people come and they say, now we know, and, 
and this is the way to live and now we have a better understanding of you know the of, of the way of life whether it be like in a religious context like here's a new understanding of the 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 scripture and the dogma that we believe in or whether it's just in the world as a whole um, there's always new doctrines and and he's he's saying be beware of these new and false doctrines but cling to what you heard at the beginning what you heard at the beginning is what you should compare everything uh, that you hear with okay that which you was delivered to you and that you were taught is the truth okay um, the this is contrary to the way that the world thinks actually in the book of acts in acts 17 when saint paul is visiting the greek philosophers um, it says uh, about the athenians in the city of athens it says for all the athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing like the the focus and the goal was simply we want to hear something new and a lot of times when we become bored of the same old things you know we say like we, we hear we read the same their same scripture over and over we hear the same sermons over and over we do everything the same again and over and over the liturgy is the same every time right and maybe we get bored and so our desire is that we want something new and this desire for something new is where like heresies begin to enter into the church right and we begin to forsake the original teachings that we had and begin to accept something new that's contrary to what we believed right and so this is why it's very important to, s to cling to what we heard from the beginning rather than to be always wanting to seek that which is new and different just for the sake of newness but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and it is true and it is not a lie and just as it has taught you you will abide in him so those believers who have received the holy spirit the holy spirit teaches them and instructs them and guides them in the truth they understand the truth because god is working in them so it's not saying that they understand the truth without any learning or knowledge but god helps them to understand the the scripture so that it is edifying to them and is the truth and they're not easily deceived those people who are strong in spirit are the ones that are the least likely to be deceived by the enemy those who are weak in spirit those who are not um, edifying themselves like in their spiritual life those are the ones that are very easy to, f to fall away because they misunderstand the scripture they're very easily deceived because the work of god is not working mightily in them but those who have the anointing of the holy spirit and the holy spirit is working strongly in them they will not be deceived and now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him so again he is telling us abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence so what when is it that he's going to appear at the second coming so he's saying at the second coming we will have confidence we will not be afraid of the judgment right at his coming because we are abiding he, we are abiding in him all the time and if we know that he is righteous then we also to be righteous like him we are called to be righteous just as he is righteous right and so again he's, he's speaking both here about like the faith and the dogma and the understanding to not be deceived but the way that that is actually practiced in real life is through our works right it's through the actions that we that we take any questions about chapter two chapter 3 behold what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him okay so what is when you really contemplate right to be called the children of God he's saying here that it is a, a great honor what manner of love the father has bestowed on us to be called the children of God so we are the only creation that God made that he considers children. And if you, you can compare ourselves to like two different things. You can compare ourselves to the animals who are flesh only, whom God did not give them his spirit, and they are not the children of God. They are his creation, but they are not the children of God. And you can compare also us to the angels who are only spirit without, without the flesh, um, who are serving him constantly the angels uh, 
as far as the, the, those angels that did not rebel uh, against God and become demons, they are constantly and diligently serving God for eternity, nonstop, all the time. And yet even they are not considered the children of God. Like what God has granted us, which is to be partakers of his nature, to be in communion with him, to eat him, like to be in union, like when we take the body and blood, right? It is something even greater than what the angels um, partake in, to be united with God. Though the angels are very diligent and are very obedient and, and are serving God constantly, like imagine in heaven what the angels are doing all the time. Like there's angels that are carrying the throne of God constantly, and they do it without tiring. And I'm sure there's never a time where they're like, no, we're tired of carrying the throne of God, right? Like they're always carrying the throne of God. And there's always angels that are chanting. And there's always angels that are like like angel, like like uh, Archangel Gabriel when God sends him as the messenger angel to come and to tell people things. Like the angels are always responding in, in perfect obedience immediately to God all the time. And yet they are not considered the children of God. God considers us to be his children, right? And you can ask why. Like what is it about us that we did in order to deserve such an honor? And the answer is we did no nothing to deserve such an honor. Though he has granted us a higher rank and status than both the animals and the angels, right? And yet we have done nothing to deserve such a status. And actually we are much less obedient than both the animals and the, the angels. Um, you know, you, we was talking about like in the story of Jonah, right? Everything in the story of Jonah obeyed God except Jonah himself. Like 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 the the fish when God sent the fish to go swallow him it it obeyed the storm whenever the, the God wanted there to be a storm it obeyed like Jonah himself was the one who kept disobeying so nature and the animals the angels everybody obeys God perfectly except us and yet we are the ones whom God considers to be his children and that he grants us to be citizens of heaven right so to even try to contemplate on the love that God has for us, it's like you think of like a parent who loves their children, right? And there's no reason for them to love them. Th it's not because the children have done anything. It's not because they have earned the love by doing some action, right? It is a love that is inherent in the relationship, right? It is not based on what we have done. The children don't have to act a certain way to be loved by the parents. They are loved simply because of their identity, because of who they are. And this is the same way with us and God. God loves us simply because we are his children. So even when we like question the love of God, right? Or we think that we have to earn the love of God. This is false. We don't have to earn the love of God. Now, we shouldn't be haughty about this or prideful. Like we shouldn't be like, yeah, God loves us because we're just so awesome. No, we're we're not awesome at all. Like we're very unawesome. Like we are very uh prideful, we're very disobedient, we're very arrogant. We we, we disobey God all the time. We're very stubborn. And so when we look to the love that God has for us, it should be a reason for humility and a, and a reason for like seeing the great love and mercy that God has on us that we don't deserve. And this would actually make us to love him, right? We love him because he first loved us. He lo we love him because of we see that he's showering us with things that we don't deserve and that even if we go through various trials in life, things that we wish were different, we don't blame God for it because we see that what he has given us is already far greater than what we deserve. We're not entitled. We don't feel entitled um, to anything. So though we were disobedient from day one, Adam and Eve disobeyed God from day one before even they had children, like very early, very early on, right? And yet God continued to seek after us to bring us back to himself through the incarnation and the resurrection and all these things because that's how much he loves us. So when we contemplate that, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, it is incomprehensible. Like There's no way to, to understand it, to comprehend it, and we certainly don't deserve it. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So he says what? We know that we are children of God, but we don't even understand what that entails. We don't even understand at this point in time like how like like what it means truly to be the, the children of God because we are living here in like a foreign land. Imagine like you know you have like a prince 
who is rightfully supposed to live in the palace, whose father is the king, who enjoys everything about the kingdom and royalty. That's where he's supposed to be. But he's exiled in a foreign nation. And so in that foreign nation, he is not treated as a prince. He is treated as like a common person. And maybe he is very you know, ill-treated. And maybe he is poor. And maybe he is, suffers. And maybe he's thrown in jail. And maybe all these bad things maybe happen to him in this foreign land because they don't know that he is a prince. Right? He is, and, and, and that is not his nation. And that's kind of like the earth. Like we are... We are we are children of the king, children of the king, but we are here in a place that doesn't honor us, right? Doesn't grant us such privilege, right? But in heaven, the way that God is going to treat us is like truly like royalty, like we are His children. We'll have a higher rank and status, right, than all the other creation because God made us to be so, not because we deserve to be so. So He's saying it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Like for us to even try to comprehend when we return, you know, to, to our Father in heaven, what it is that we will be like and, and how is it that, 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 that our lives will be. It is something beyond kind of our, our comprehension. But when it is revealed, we know what, that we shall be like him, right? We will be like our Father. We will be um, partaking of his nature. We'll be in union with him. We will be like him and we shall see him as he is. We will be able to see him clearly. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, when St. Paul is speaking, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So he's saying now as in, in this world and on the earth, right? We see in a mirror dimly, like we see a, like, a, like, a, like a reflection, like a dim reflection, like a hazy reflection of what the real life is in heaven. We, we, we can talk about it, we can read about it, but we don't really understand it until we get there, right? But then we will see face to face. When we are there, we will see clearly. For now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. Like God knows us perfectly, but we know him very little, right? So now I know in part, but then I shall know and be known, right, completely. I am uh, just as I am known completely by God. Also, I will know him and I will see and comprehend things that I have yet to understand now. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So with the hope and expectation that we are going to heaven and that we are going to see all these things revealed and that everything is going to be amazing and wonderful. Right. We strive and struggle against the flesh here. Like we struggle against the flesh in this world. Because we want to reach that place. We are always reminding ourselves of how we should live and what we should do and, and how important is our relationship with God because we want to return back again to that place. And so we purify ourselves. We want to live a life of purity just as he is pure. Because, again, if we are the children of the king, then we want to be like the king. We want to live like him and act like him and talk like him, right? And this is the, the anchor that keeps us to be like focusing our life on the one thing. Which is our salvation, our eternity. That even though we are tempted with many things in this world, there is one thing that transcends all of that, which is that our desire to return uh, to to our Father again. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So, what are the the types of sins that we are committing? Right. So he's saying sin. Whoever commits sin, it commits lawlessness. Lawlessness is like rebellion, right? Like because we are rebelling against the law god created the law which is, is to guide us and and how to live in the world and when we disobey that law we are rebelling against god we are telling god we have a better understanding or philosophy of life or how we want to live than you and so we are rebelling against you right so sin is lawlessness okay so um but as he said before the person who is righteous and the person who walks in the light is not just the person who says that they, that they know the law, right? But they have to practice the law. They have to live according to the law. And do you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin? So because we were living a life of lawlessness and disobedience and sin, right? He was manifested. He manifested himself in the incarnation to take away our sins, right? So that he would die for our sake for our sins whoever abides in him does not sin whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him now here in these next few verses 
um, like St. John is going to make some statements that are speaking about like our status. Um, if we if we fall into sin, what is our status? Okay, but it's important to, to remember that here he's speaking about those people who sin without repentance. Okay, he's not just saying if we just if we sin because we are all sinners, right? We all fall into sin, and in the repentance we can be re return again. But here he's speaking about those people who sin with no repentance. So it says, whoever abides in him does not does not sin. Okay, so if we truly abided in him fully, without any lack at all, then we would be perfect without sin. This would be the status of a person who is in heaven. We are fully abiding in him, and we are not committing any sins. Okay, here in the world, we are trying to abide in him as much as possible, but we have weaknesses, and we might still fall into sins. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Meaning if a person chooses a life of sin, it's because they don't understand like what is it that God is offering them? What is it what is it what is it really really like the choice that is before them? Like you can choose eternal life, like you can have eternal life, or you can have like this temporary pleasure. So the person who would choose the temporary pleasure over the eternal life is because they're living in darkness. They're blinded by their desires. Right? It's it, they they don't really know God. If they really knew God, then they would choose God. They would choose him. That life that he offers them is better than the life of any other life that you can get for yourself in the world. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So if we know God, then we are righteous like him. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so again, we, we, we can't live in both worlds. We choose either the side of God or the side of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Okay, so if someone is born of God, meaning again, he's perfectly abiding in God, then he would be without sin. Okay, for his seed remains in him, meaning the seed of God, like the, the spirit of God dwells in the person, so that person is without sin, right? Because he has been born of God. But this, again, it's not saying that Christians won't sin, right? If, if someone has completely put off the flesh, okay, but we are still living in the flesh. We are still living with this war, this fight against us, um, and we are still struggling against sin. Yes. For Christ, yes. Yeah, but I mean, here he's he's being about us. Yeah. <coughs> um, I mean, I guess you, you could try to make that argument, but since it's already applying to us and we understand it in that way, I don't know if you can directly take it and apply it to Christ because it's it's really focusing on us, not on Christ. Yeah. Um, so, again, if we go back to what we read in chapter 2, when it said we have an advocate with the Father. The advocate with the Father is Jesus, who is advocating because he is like the defense attorney, like we said last time. He is defending us, right, um, against accusation. And, and so the reason that we needed the advocate is because we are going to fall. We are going to sin. And so, so again... This shouldn't be taken to, un to, to mean that the person, if, if we commit sin, that means we are not born of God, right? No, we are, we, are, we are born of God, but we are still struggling with the flesh and have yet to put off the corrupted flesh. Once we put off the corrupted flesh and we are completely abiding in God alone, then yes, we will be without sin. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Okay, so we can ask ourselves, like, um, how can we see the life of a person, like who they are, and if they are of God or not, right? It is through their love, through their actions, right, through their actions. There are people who maybe appear to be holy and righteous by their words, but the person who is really truly like a righteous person will be seen through their actions, right? Because 
Just as an example, Cain was wicked because of his actions. He murdered his brother, right? And he murdered him out of envy, right? Because his, his, his works were evil and his, bro his brothers were, were righteous. So anyone who is not practicing righteousness is not, is, it does not love his brother. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Why? Because, again, we are foreign to the world. Like, we are of, of foreign nature. We do not belong to the system of the world. So our existence kind of is a threat to the world. When they see the way that we live, the things that we believe, the things that we do, it is a threat to the world because it is against the system of the world. And the world does not understand us, and so the world hates us. And, of course, it also hated Christ. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So in verse 14 when he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren, meaning the, 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 the proof of our salvation is in our transformation in the spirit, like because we have been transformed, because we are able to love as God loves this is the, the, the evidence of our salvation because we have passed from death to life. We know that we have passed from death to life. We know that we have been saved because our actions are righteous, righteous as God's righteousness, right? We have the characteristics of God because we are his children. So once we see this manifested in us, we know that this person is, is, is like, like is, has salvation in Christ. Like when we, for instance, when we speak about the saints, what is it that we see in them? Like we see a supernatural kind of love working in them. And because we see a supernatural kind of life, love, we say these people are not only like a model for us or they are a model for us because they are showing us the path of salvation because they have walked the path of salvation and we want to walk the same path. But we see people who are hateful and, and murderers and doing these things. We say, no, these people are, are away from God. Like they're not living uh, a life of, of purity and goodness. By this we know, uh, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Okay, so again, it's a practical love. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. Even the love of God to us, it was not declared to us simply with words. Like it wasn't just like God is saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Right? He, 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 he did an action. The action was self-sacrifice. And it is in that sacrifice because he laid his life for us, he laid down his life for us, that we know that we are loved. And this is what, how we understand even what love is. So he gave us a model for love as being a love of sacrifice, not just a superficial love, not just like a love of words or, or something that is like, you know, very empty, but something that is that is deep and abiding and, 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 and self-sacrificial. OK, so he gives them this example. If you have, you know, um, if you have this world's goods, meaning you're wealthy, right, and you see someone in need, but you refuse to help that person. Um, then this is not an example of self-sacrificial love, and the love of God does not abide in this person. So he's saying, don't love in word only. Don't love just by speaking words of love, but in actions, right? In actions of love to show that we have the real love, and this is the love of God. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So this is an interesting verse. I want to see what you think it means. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. What do you think it means?
Yeah, so like if our heart condemns us, meaning yes, like if we are, if, if our heart's condemning us because we are, we are committing sin. So, so what it's saying for, for verse 20, it's saying that our heart, you think of like our heart as being like our conscience, right? So our, our conscience is condemning us. But God is greater than our conscience and knows everything. So you could take it in, in, in more than one way. Like, for instance, when we examine ourselves, okay, and we realize our sin, and we realize that we have bad motives, right? Um, then we choose to confess our weaknesses, right? And he is able to accept our repentance, even though sometimes we don't forgive ourselves, right? Like sometimes we maybe confess our sins, and yet we still feel guilty and we have not confessed ourselves. So our, conf our consciences continue to condemn us even though God has forgiven. Right? Do we follow that so far? Yes. So he's saying God is greater than our heart. Not after you've been forgiven. <coughs> so like... <coughs> No, he's, he's speaking about, like, in general, about, like, when we examine ourselves to see if we are abiding in God or not. And then we find that we have committed sins. And so we feel condemned because of the sins we commit, right? And that should prompt us to confess. And when we confess, what should happen? We should feel that we are forgiven by God and not continue to feel condemned. Saying God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So God knows us better than our consciousness know us. And after we have confessed, God is greater than our consciences. So God is greater than our own self-understanding. The previous verses is all talking about how we know whether we have the love of God or not. Right? So all these verses is talking about love in action and not loving in word only. Right? So, so when, when, uh, wh why is it that my heart would condemn me? Is because after reading that, I would be like, you know what? I'm, I'm not really loving. I'm not a loving person. I don't have the self-sacrificial love that St. John is speaking about. So my heart is condemning me. Okay? But God is greater than our heart, and he is able to like, forgive even this. And then he goes on and he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So if our hearts testify that we truly love God, and we have confidence in this, right? Then, 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 then it's it's like we are we we feel like we are fulfilling the commandment. We are doing what it is that God is saying, right? So Saint Clement of Alexandria he says, "For God is greater than our heart; that is, God's power is greater than the consciousness consciences that belong to the soul, because God's love knows everything. So God's power is greater than our consciences." And then Saint Augustine says, "Our conscience gives us a true answer." which we love and that genuine love is in us, not feigned but sincere, seeking our brother's salvation and expecting nothing from him except his salvation. So these are two different, um, two different cases. In the one case, I look at myself and I find myself lacking. In the second case, I look at myself and I say, I am fulfilling the commandment. Okay, And so my heart is not condemning me and I have confidence toward God because my heart is not condemning me. Make sense? Okay. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Okay, so because we are keeping the commandments of God, because we are doing the things that are pleasing in his sight, right, then when we ask of him, we receive. Now, this is not saying that, well, because we are good, absolutely anything we ask of God, he's going to give. It's saying that because we are keeping God's commandments, then even the things that we are asking from God are according to his will. And so we receive the things that we are asking. Like in James 4, verse 3, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So if a person is asking with the wrong motive or for something that is harmful to them, they are not receiving because God will not grant it to them. But if someone is, um, is, is obeying God's commandments, and is living a life of righteousness, then the things that they ask for, 
God will grant to them. Okay. This is the last one, and this is the and this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another, as He gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So the commandment we should follow is to believe in Christ, and that from our faith in Christ, it is manifested in our love for one another. Okay? That's why he says this is the commandment. We should believe in Jesus Christ, and from that faith should come love for one another, just as he gave us commandment. Okay, and 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 it says by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So the Holy Spirit that we have will confirm in us that we are living with God, that God is living in us and that we are living this life of love according to the commandments of God. And this is when he was saying, like like what we said here, um, <coughs> uh, our heart does not condemn us for we have confidence toward God. Because, again, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is confirming in us that we are living a life that is pleasing to God. Any questions about this chapter? Okay. We can pray. Oh, yes, sorry. Yes, that's that's part of it too. So, the two parts of it is is one is what you said, okay? God, because God is saying God knows all things, so He knows us better than we know ourselves. But but because the heart is deceptive, one of the things that we can be deceived about is that we are not forgiven when we confess. So that also is like God is greater than our heart. So, the goal is to say that we trust in God more than we trust in our heart. Okay, we can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, that you search our hearts and help us to know ourselves and to reveal, O Lord, anything that is lacking in us. Guard us and protect us and lead us, O Lord, always in your way. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.